Great to be here, Luke. Thank you, man. <laughs> well, uh, on behalf of my wife, Nell, we love Luke and Danica. I'm sure you guys are loving them as well. They're awesome in every way. It's a real privilege for Nell and I to be a part of Luke and Danica's dating relationship and courting relationship and engagement relationship and now their married relationship and parenting relationship sometime, right, Luke? Yeah, maybe. With, Can you picture a little baby Luke coming out? <laughs> Long hair. Hey. <laughs> right? I can't wait, Luke. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it's a joy for me to be here with you tonight. Thanks, Luke, for the opportunity, the invite, uh, to just share with you a little bit about my heart uh, on the subject of prayer. It's something that I'm working on, an exercise, that uh, a discipline that is important to me. It, it's something that I've learned a lot from people in my journey and my walk. And uh, at the college now, I serve as the president of the school. And um, more than ever has prayer become important. So privileged just to share a little bit with you. Uh, so here's what is going to happen. I just want to share a message with you. And you might take some notes down. Luke said you might think about a question or two, and then we'll have some Q&A, and we'll drill down a little bit more about maybe some of the things that either I share or something you're just inquiring about with regards to prayer, all right? So one of the things, I lived here in Hillsboro for 10 years, and, and in Boise, uh, it, it's not quite looking like the same, but there's trails everywhere in Boise, just like here. You can go mountain biking and hiking, and I love that. So if you take the analogy of hiking or, or getting on a trail or walking, all right? So run with that metaphor with me for a little bit. Uh, you know, there's some important things you got to know. You got to, maybe you get your app, that trails app, to show you where the, where the head of the trail is and how long it's going to take and the elevation drop and gain, and you got to get the right food if you're going to be going for more than like five miles, right? Uh, check the weather. Maybe inclement weather might be coming in, so you got to have the right uh, clothing, temperature drop uh, or gain. Uh, you got to have the right footwear, right, to go on a good hike. Um, it's always good to do, I think, together. I, I, I mean, hiking alone on occasion is fun, but, you know, to do a group hike is a blast, and so you kind of have the group be informed on where you're heading and, and how long it's going to be. And so on this hike, you know, the day of the hike, you all plan to do this hike. Uh, you know, you actually got to wake up, and you actually got to get up, and you got to get your boots on. You actually got to go and get on the trail. And then when you're on the trail, you got to kind of, you know, be aware of, of uh, you know, markers on the trail of, of your step, you know, maybe roots or trees that have fallen, or, or you just have to be alert and aware and ready, all right? So on this idea of running with the metaphor of a hike or a walk, I think that's what Paul is getting at when he says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, you know, to walk well, to walk worthy, that uh, you got to bear in mind this calling that you've received and to walk in a manner that is aligned with the calling that, that you've heard God call you to do. I'm going to assume that most of us here, if not all of us, have had a, a sense of step towards Jesus. So to walk well on this hike, there's some things we've got to bear in mind. This trail that we follow him, you've got to be informed, you've got to be wise, you've got to be alert. And then he adds this. In the next chapter, chapter 5, he says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is on this hike. And then Paul, the apostle, who writes this letter to Christians who lived in ancient Ephesus, he's writing to those Christians, young and old, he tells the power 
for this walk. This is the, the command. This good walk, a worthy walk, is dependent upon this command. It's the prerequisite command for a worthy walk, for a good walk on this hike of Jesus. And here it is. He says in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But here's the command. Be filled with the Spirit. Say that with me. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, many people in the ancient world, first century world, 2,000 years ago in ancient Ephesus, if you lived there, it'd be pretty common to see people getting drunk. Drunkenness was pretty common. They viewed drunkenness as sort of this inspiration when you're possessed by this pagan deity known as... It's right. The pagan god of wine. If you know your mythology, this is one of the son, this is the son of Zeus. Dionysus was the mythological god of wine. They believed in ancient Ephesus that, that worshipers of, of Dionysus got drunk. They performed sexual acts of immorality. They lost control, all kind of under the influence of this somewhat god, they thought. And here Paul contrasts that completely. He contrasts that idea of getting drunk on this pagan deity, this false god, selfishness, with the empowerment of God's spirit. In other words, he's saying, get drunk on the right spirit. <laughs> and he's talking about not losing control. He's talking about not getting drunk. He's talking about the way to worship God with your life on this hike, if I can run with that metaphor, on this trail of following Jesus in the dust of Jesus as his disciple it leads to a wise walk when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but a foolish walk when you're filled with Dionysus, He's, he would say to them. Liquid courage, short-lived. It doesn't produce anything. We're to be filled with the characteristics of Jesus through the intoxicating Holy Spirit. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. Problem is, we don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we know very little about the Spirit. I don't know if they knew a whole lot about the Holy Spirit in ancient Ephesus, but today I don't know if we know much about it. One New Testament scholar, he put it this way, prayer is kind of spiritual breathing. Too often we greet God in the morning maybe or we talk to him over a meal, but he said all of life is to be prayed like you're breathing in and out. Inhale, exhale. What if we viewed prayer like that? Well, it's important for us to bear in mind how the Holy Spirit works with that. Do you know for thousands of years, humans have enjoyed the benefits of oxygen breathing in and out without the slightest idea of the chemical properties of how oxygen worked through our lungs and our bodies. For thousands of years, we've just assumed oxygen is just what we do until scientists became aware of how oxygen really works and how the chemicals work and the properties work and the compounds work. And then when that knowledge of how oxygen actually works within our human bodies, they were able to, as scientists, help us fight fires better. Help us save lives better. Help athletes perform better. One gentleman said that the Holy Spirit might be considered the oxygen of the church. Where we kind of just assume the Spirit's kind of there, like oxygen, without the slightest idea of how the chemical properties, if I can say it that way, of the Holy Spirit actually works in the church. But boy, when you get into Jesus, 
and you really get engaged into him and you start this walk, intimately walking in this trail, this hike towards Jesus, following him, and you become aware of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden we gain an awareness of how to partner with the Holy Spirit and to work in collaboration with the Holy Spirit. But boy, trying to get our minds around the Holy Spirit is kind of like trying to hug a, a Douglas fir or, or let's go a sequoia or maybe a wet, slippery whale. The Holy Spirit's kind of, kind of tricky, kind of uh, mysterious. The Holy Spirit's kind of hard to get our arms around, but it will certainly help us in our partnership. Too many Christians, though, I think have lived and have grown and matured without the slightest idea of how the Holy Spirit works. Kind of taking for granted that the Holy Spirit's just kind of there. Assumed the Spirit's going to be there. Now, you know, we take water for granted from the tap. We take electricity for granted. If you've ever get the opportunity, maybe you have traveled outside of the United States to an underdeveloped country, like a third world developed country, underdeveloped country, where, where you watch how those Christians live without consistent electricity or Wi-Fi or even water that's clean, and you watch, and then you come back to America, <laughs> having watched them, boy, do you appreciate water from the tap, and like hot water from the shower, and electricity all the time to be constantly connected to Wi-Fi. We just assume that utility is going to be there until, until there's some accident, and the water main is broken, and your water is shut off for a little bit, and it's like, I got to go to the bathroom, I can't flush the toilet, I'm mad. Or the electricity's out, and you can't have Wi-Fi, not have enough data plan on my, ah, we freak out. We assume those utilities are going to be there until they're not. So let me ask you this question. Think with me about this. If you're a Christ follower, and if the Holy Spirit that's in you was turned off, would you even notice If the flip was switched off of the Holy Spirit that indwells you if you're a Jesus follower, would you even be aware that it was turned off? Too many make the mistake of following Jesus without an awareness of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, makes all this faith in Jesus stuff happen. The Spirit is the one that actually helps us understand the Spirit informs us how to have a good walk on this hike, this trail of following Jesus. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. The person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, it's a mistake. It is a mistake to view the Holy Spirit as like some lesser than person in the Trinity. Like he's less than Jesus, or like he's less than, than the Father. Almost like, you know, Jesus dies on the cross, and he rises from the dead, and he ascends back to the right hand of the Father. And then there's this question in heaven, like, well, who's going to go in for me? It, Jesus doesn't look down the bench and kind of go, well, Holy Spirit, I guess you're in. No, 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 there's none of that. <laughs> like he's less than, like some sub. In fact, if you look at the Holy Spirit and the Father and Jesus in their relationship, you would see this the word is this self-reference. Where you, Holy Father, would you help me understand you? And the Father, I think, would say, oh, have you met my boy, Jesus? 
Oh, no, you go to Jesus, I want to get to know you and, and the Father. And oh, the Spirit, or Jesus would go, have you, have I introduced you to the Holy Spirit yet? You go to the Holy Spirit and, Spirit, how do we get to know you more? Have you met the Father and the Son yet? There's this self-deferential idea. The Holy Spirit is equal to Jesus and equal to the Father. It's not about what I'm being filled with, but who I'm being filled with. There's descriptive verbs in the Bible that speak about the Holy Spirit as a person. Do you know the Spirit speaks and the Spirit guides? That's not an it, that's a person. The Spirit protects, the Spirit leads, and the Spirit calls, and the Spirit forbids, and the Spirit knows, and the Spirit teaches, and the Spirit decides, and the Spirit grieves. That's stuff of a person, not an it. So it's not what we're to be filled with, it's who are we to be filled with. It's not anything but a person, but get this. The person of Jesus in us? The person of God in us? Here's a profound truth. God with us, Emmanuel, that is awesome, isn't it? God with us is good, right? But God in us, that is so much better. God indwelling us? But some have received the gift of the Holy Spirit from Jesus and don't realize who they've been given. The late Bill Bright told a story in West Texas, a famous oil field known as the Yates Pool. Here's the backstory to the Yates Pool. During the Depression in the 1930s, uh, the field was a sheep ranch owned by a guy named Yates. Mr. Yates was in deep concern and worried as he grazed his sheep across those West Texas rolling hills, how in the world he was going to pay all of his bills, how he was going to pay for his mortgage. He was very concerned. He, like so many people during the Great Depression, lived on government subsidy to buy food and clothes. Rolling hills of West Texas with these sheep, concerned and worried how in the world and troubled he was going to pay for everything until one day a seismographic crew from an oil company came knocking at Mr. Yates' door and said, Mr. Yates, we think you might have oil in your land. Would you mind, would you let us, would you give us permission to drop a wildcat well and see? He signed the lease contract. At 1,115 feet, they hit a huge oil reserve that rolled in at 80,000 barrels of oil a day. It's a ginormous pool under the ground. In fact, they found multiple other pools twice as large. Three decades later, 30 years later, that oil company came back and they tested one of the original drill pools they, they drilled in and they found it still had a potential flow of 125,000 barrels a day. Here it is. Mr. Yates owned it. When he signed the papers to buy that property, he got all the oil rights and all the mineral rights. He owned it, but he's living in poverty? Government subsidy? What? How does a potential multimillionaire live so poorly? Well, here it is. He owned it, but he did not possess it. He didn't know the oil was there. And I think too many times, we as Christians, we own the Spirit, and we don't really embrace the Spirit. We don't realize, we don't know the power and the presence of Jesus in us, and so therefore we live in poverty. Not full the way we're designed to be. 
The moment you became a child of God, the moment you decided to follow Jesus, the moment you declared a relationship with him and he embraced you with salvation, at that moment, all the rights and privileges as an heir of the king were delivered to you. Did you realize that? All of that from heaven was made available to you. Everything you need to be a man or a woman to God on this, on this trail of Jesus, everything you need for life was provided for you. We're taught to follow Jesus. Amen. Don't stop. But we are not informed enough, and we live in spiritual poverty, not realizing who empowers us, the very person of God. Let me make myself clear for a second. In this verse, be filled with the Spirit, Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to young men and women and old men and women who are already Christians. They've already got the Holy Spirit. He's not saying, I doubt you have the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that either. That's not the question here. The question isn't if you've got the Holy Spirit, if you've committed your life to Jesus. The question is, if you're following Jesus on this trail, are you utilizing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? That's the point. He says, be filled with the Spirit, not just a little drop, dunked to the brim, overflowing with the presence of the Spirit. The resources are important, you guys. The resources of the Spirit are important. Power and wisdom and grit and fortitude and patience and love, all those things are made available through the very person of Jesus, through the presence of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me break this down for a minute. Literally, literally, if you want to look at the original language in the Greek, it literally reads this. Keep on letting yourselves be filled with the Spirit. It's got this action to it. Keep on letting yourselves, with a little bit of a passive feel, be filled with the Spirit. You work and you do all you can do to get in a position where you can be filled. It's a partnership with you and God. It's not just all up to God. God, it's all up to you. I don't feel like I'm filled with the Spirit. It's all on you. No, 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 no. It's us with God. It's in collaborative partnership. You do something and he does something. You keep on letting yourselves get in a position, in a posture where you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then actually there's something here we don't always pick up in our English Bibles. This is plural. It's not singular like Americans. It's plural. <laughs> Think Texan for a minute. It's all y'all. <laughs> It's you-ins. Hey, you guys, or New York, you guys work at being filled. All y'all, you keep on letting yourselves, you keep on putting the effort at being in a posture, in a position to be filled. It's a beautiful idea. The Spirit indwells you individually. He indwells just physically. But He indwells and unifies the body of Jesus. The Spirit empowers you as a Christian to imitate Jesus, no doubt. But the Spirit empowers us to be an ambassadorship and a colony of grace here in this part of Washington or Multnomah County. This Spirit builds the body of Jesus. And each of you guys and girls, you have a contributing gift. Not for yourself. He didn't gift you with the Holy Spirit. For you to build your spiritual ego is for you to contribute to the whole, to the community, to all y'all. My gift to you is this. Your gift to us is this. To walk well with Jesus means to continually place yourselves in a receiving position for the Spirit to fill you. So let me ask you, how do we do that? How do we, here's just two suggestions. How do we cultivate 
this idea of getting to a place where we are filled. How do we do that? Well, here's one. It's constant attachment. Attachment. I'm talking like two pieces of Velcro or like two magnets that were designed to adhere to one another. Two that are attached. It's like living in partnership, tied up in sync, walking in step with the Spirit, in sync and in tune with the Spirit. Walking, maybe Paul's analogy might be walking hand in hand. I do this with my wife now. We just like to do this. We're cheapskates. A date for me is walking around the block. <laughs> and what I do is this, and automatically I feel her hand. I grip it. She puts her hand out, automatically mine is there. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit puts his hand out, and attachment means we put our hand in. If you put your hand out, the Spirit's going, got it. It's deep, subterranean attachment. It's something that we have to work at. It's not a question, you guys. If you're a Christian, it's not a question of if you receive the Holy Spirit. That's not the question. The question is, are you attached are you letting the Spirit attach himself, and are you attached to it? Attachment like that means that the Spirit will guide you with major decisions you got to make. Major decisions. Where you get that, that white sheet of paper out that's blank, and you draw the line down the middle, and you put pro in one column, and con in the other column, or, or strengths or weaknesses, and you start listing out what you should do about this major decision, and the Spirit will guide you with that. Attachment like that means the Spirit will help you when you don't know what to do, being creative. You're hitting the wall with an idea. The Spirit will help you. The Spirit will comfort you when you feel alone. The Spirit, like that attachment Spirit, means the Spirit will, will tell you you're all right in Jesus when you feel beat up by those old sinful habits that continue to come to life. The Spirit, an attachment to the Spirit, means He will break your heart for the lost people the way His heart is broken for the lost people. That's attachment to Jesus in the Holy Spirit. How else do we cultivate the presence of the Spirit? It continues with a, from attachment to attention. Attention, being aware, being awake, being alert. And Paul goes to the next chapter. If we're being filled with the Spirit, the result is we will then, in chapter 6, 18, pray in the Spirit. If you work at letting yourselves be in a position to actually be filled to the brim of the Holy Spirit, he says in the next chapter, you will then be able to pray in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit in order to pray in the Spirit. Let's unpack that a little bit, okay? Prayer in the Spirit actually helps us fix our eyes on Jesus, on this trail where Satan wants to cloud it over or, or get in the way and interfere or, or disrupt our, our walk and confuse us and put a distance between us and Jesus. The Spirit helps you never lose sight of Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Too often we're kind of doing the work of God on our own thing. We're trying to do this whole Christian life thing on my own ability. And the Spirit helps us. Holy Spirit enacts the power and the presence of Jesus to course through us. So how do we pray in the Holy Spirit? Who's, here's two things around this point. How do we pray in the Holy Spirit well, here's one of two practices. One practice is to pause long enough to be filled. How do we pray in the Spirit? You have to pause long enough. Pausing our life and praying. We put ourselves into position, therefore, to get into His rhythm. What we tend to do, I think, many times is, I got my rhythm, I got my habit, Holy Spirit, join in. <laughs> but the well, Spirit won't do that. 
we got to let the spirit, we got to get into the spirit's rhythm. So we got to pause long enough to figure out what that is. And it may not be the same cadence as yours. You good with that? We have to pause long enough to discern. I, I like to illustrate it this way. Uh, maybe you've seen a little nephew or an aunt or, or a, young, a younger kid, three-year-old, four-year-old. They're coming in from the backyard. It's a summer warm day. Their cheeks are rosy red, sw- beads of sweat coming down. They're hot, and they want a cup of lemonade. They come into the kitchen, ask their mom or the dad, would you fill my cup with lemonade? But, but FOMO kicks in, fear of missing out. They're looking around. They don't want to miss out on anything in the backyard with all their friends, and they're moving, and they're, they're thirsty, but they don't want to stop. And mom and dad are like, kid, if you'll just stop, I'll be able to pour in your cup. And I think God is saying that to us. Hey, you guys, you professional multitaskers, if you'll just pause, I'll be able to fill you. Stop. Often. Get some margin in your life, some white space in your life for the Spirit. Can I go out on a limb here? I really don't want to offend anybody here. Your life is way too loud. Your life is way busy. Multitasking is inhibiting our ability to pray in the Holy Spirit. We need to seriously consider deleting some apps on our phone. We need to seriously, if we're serious about on this hike of following Jesus, we need to seriously consider the hours we are logging on whatever media that is. I'm all for it. Love Netflix, but you need to curb your habit. Sorry. I mean, you need to stop all the YouTube hours you're logging or whatever that is. And those are great, pleasurable things, but I know what it, I know what it is. is. It's been a long day. My friends are in their room. They're, they're, they're home, and I'm bored, and so I go to my media, and I watch, and I watch, and I watch. And I'm just saying... Would you create a pause in your life and assess really what is Lord of your time? It's the most precious commodity you have. It's time. How is that going for you? You got to take it really radically serious. Delete the app. Cut the commitment financially. Slice the cable if you need to. Maybe set your phone away. Have you ever tried that? But we think I can multitask. I can follow Jesus in the dust of Jesus, and I can also do that. And I think what we are fooling ourselves is, is we're missing out. We, we are, when we are loud and we are busy and things are getting noisy and the frequency, we lose our sense of being. Do you agree? One person put it this way. We run the risk of turning into human doings rather than human beings. Too many distractions run interference. So I'd I'd encourage you to pause early in the morning. Summer break's a great time to do it. Pause early. Read some scripture early. Hide away from everybody and every social media thing you can that distracts. According to interruption science, we are interrupted every three minutes. (laughs) And it's pretty sad. There actually has to be a a field of science dedicated to interruption. That's pretty problematic in our culture. To be filled with the Spirit, we need to get some boundaries set. Can I just, I'm going to share me for just a second. This is me. This is, I don't know if I had this when I was middle school or high school, but I've learned this. For me, I don't look at any email or any Facebook or any Instagram. I don't look at any media when I wake up. My rhythm is to turn off my alarm. It's on my phone. 
and I just refuse to look at the alerts that came through on my home screen. I just don't. And I shower up and I clean up and I open up my Bible app as I go to my office early in the morning. I get there way before everybody. It's just my rhythm, okay? And I listen to scripture as I drive. I don't listen to scripture very often. I read it a lot. I don't listen to it very well. <laughs> so I listen to scripture. And when I get to my office and nobody's there, it's me and the scripture and the Father, Son, and Spirit. Where I am right now, I'm mostly striking the posture of kneeling a lot because <laughs> I don't have the wisdom to know what to do all the time. I got some anxiety, and I just strike the pose. Sometimes, sometimes, even this summer, I have gone prostrate, nose on the floor, and I lock the door behind me because I don't want anybody looking at me because <laughs> I just go, I, I need this time. I don't even talk to my wife. The first person I talk to is Jesus. I don't read anything except reading the scripture first. Now, am I, am I batting 100%? Probably 95%. I've worked diligently at it. I'm just asking you, would you consider at this stage in your life, I wish I had been challenged when I was younger, would you consider raising the bar and the standard of your life if you're a serious Christ follower and take it serious? and create some space, would you pause? And would you control everything that's trying to gun control of your attention in your life? How else, how else do we practice this? Here's another one. Listen long enough to be empowered. Listen, listen long enough to be empowered. There's something even more important than prayerful talking with God in prayer. It is listening to God when we pray. Too often, I think we pray, and, uh, and we do this monologue. We're just like a talking head. And God is so gracious. He loves it when we talk to him. He will listen, won't he? He'll listen. But you know what he really desires? Then that's just kind of, he wants to actually talk with us. So we need to create some space where our monologue turns into a dialogue. So listening to him through the scripture if you're willing, if you're willing, I, I'd like to encourage you to pray a bold prayer. It's an ancient prayer. It's a prayer that's been around for a while. I believe it will change the trajectory of your Christian walk. I believe it's that important. It came from an old prophet named Sam. Here's what Samuel said. It's a seven-word prayer that will change your life. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It's a bold prayer. It means you got to pause. It means you have to stop. But his voice will guide. And his voice will direct and steer. It will pull you close. We just need to learn to listen more. But here's the deal. When God chooses to speak to us through the scriptures, when he chooses to speak to us, oftentimes he will choose to whisper. He'll choose a language that is intimate. He whispers through Scripture. You know what happens when you, somebody whispers to you, especially like, you know, I was trying to talk to uh, a couple of guys back there, and the music was loud, and we're like really, really close, and we're yelling, and, and you know, say what? <laughs> that's, what that's what, when God whispers, what's it do to us? We go, huh? And he's going, yeah, keep coming. He whispers. You ever been there where some, somebody whispers and 
I mean, you feel the breath on, on your ear? It's close. It's not weird. It's called friendship that's really, really close. Attachment, where we listen. When someone speaks in a whisper, like God, we lean into it. But here's our deal today. I know it is your deal. It's my deal. It's like we turn the volume up and we hope God just yells a little louder. Keep guiding me, God. I'm listening. As I got everything loud in my busy, busy life. Aren't, aren't we in a problem? Would you pause enough to listen for him to whisper? The goal of hearing the Heavenly Father's voice is intimacy with Him and therefore empowerment by Him. When you pray in the Spirit, you begin to take the Spirit's cues. Stillness and silence, it's a habit that we don't know very well. And when we feel still or silent, we feel like we're bored and therefore we've got to do something. I'm just saying, will you get over the fear of being bored and maybe take advantage of the still pause? And maybe at that moment, Scripture and the voice of God will come alive to you like you don't realize. But you got to dare to try to go there. Overcome the temptation. It's not sleeping. It's very proactive. It's very active. It's very, keep on letting yourselves pause and listen. Work at filming. Henry Nguyen, uh, he said this, every time you listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. When you begin to hear God through the scripture, you'll want more. You know one of the most... Uh, played pieces of classical music is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony in C minor. It, it's immediately recognizable because of that amazing couple of intro notes, the iconic opening, dun, 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 right? You know, when Beethoven rolled that out in Vienna, Austria, December 22nd, 1808, when he rolled that out in 1808, it's hard to know exactly what was in his mind, but do you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something here. In the red box there, if you know your music, there's an eighth rest before the first four notes. Beethoven put a pause before the symphony. It's hard to know exactly what he was thinking. There's a lot of noise in the Vienna, Austria uh, uh, concert hall, people talking, latecomers finding their seats, the programs and the hands kind of rustling, and then the, the conductor stands up, and before the note is played, there's an eighth rest. Hmm. Before the symphony of your life, tomorrow, what if you woke up, and before the first note, there was a pause? And you did that the next day, and the next day. And you do, as we're told, 21 days in a row, some habit begins to form. What if every day the symphony of your life that the composer is writing to strike a musical chord for people to know the grace of God through Jesus and the Spirit filling in your life, what if it started with silence? You would be filled to walk this walk what if you started your morning with an eighth rest? Hmm. Here's the point. Hearing the Word of God 
will help you pray in the Spirit of God. Hearing the Word of God through Scripture will help you pray in the Spirit of God. My daughter Kaylee, she and I were talking about this, and she actually said this. She wrote, I wrote it down. She said, have you ever tried listening to the Spirit when you're reading the Bible, but you keep getting sidetracked by another thought? <laughs> Anybody been there? She said this. I'm blown away by my young daughter. Ask the Holy Spirit to take away any distractions. And if that constant thought has not left you, maybe the Spirit wants you to talk to Him about it. Ask Him what's on His mind about that constant thought. Maybe He'll teach you something about what to do with that. Praying in the Spirit demands intense fervor where we expect to hear him. Being filled with the Spirit means we're filled with his authority on a daily basis. We're filled with his power on a daily basis. Some days I do that better than other days. Some days it's really, really struggle, and I take control of my life. Let me close with this story. Kyle Eidelman preaches at a church in Southeast uh, Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He suggests this. He suggests that you view your life having a boardroom in the center of your life, in the heart of your life, a mahogany conference table where you got these leather chairs around it and you got coffee and water and, and, and soda pop and you got all the tech for your amazing presentation you want to make and, and every chair is occupied with parts of your life. You got your, you got your sexual self, you got your, your desire self, you got your, your dream career self, you got your athletic self, you got all these parts in your body. And we view this idea that in the boardroom of life, all the controls in my life, each chair is kind of occupied by a different piece. And we kind of just get used to partition divided lives. And then when we accept Jesus, we have this lie that we embrace, that we just kind of add a chair to the conference table. It's the chair for the Holy Spirit. And we say, Holy Spirit, here's your leather chair. Nice little name. It says Holy Spirit on the table. And by the way, you've got a vote. So speak up quick because everybody's got a vote in my life. You got a vote. Speak up quick. To which the Holy Spirit, most oftentimes, when he knows he has a vote, he will many times abstain from voting. He will remain silent. He doesn't function that way. Here's what happens. Did you realize this? When you said yes to Jesus for the rest of your life, did you realize that you let the Holy Spirit come into your life? Maybe you didn't put words like this, but this is what the Spirit interpreted. You pretty much said to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come in and fire the whole board. You have control of the whole boardroom. Every chair is now occupied by you. You have complete control over every aspect of my life, not just one, like my religious part. Did you know that's what happened when you accepted Jesus and all of the control of Jesus and power of the Spirit came with the Spirit in, life, in every aspect of your life, but we live in this partitioned life where we don't let him into everything. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Here's what we get used to doing. It's not about the Spirit residing in your life. It's about the Spirit presiding in your life. It's not about if the Spirit is resident. It's about if the Spirit is president. When he's president and we're able to follow his cues, we will pray differently. You'll pray what's on his mind. You'll pray about the things that he wants you to take to the Father 
And you'll follow his cues. And he will nudge you. And he will guide you. And he will lead you on this walk. Walking well, you guys. Walking in this life with Jesus. It doesn't happen accidental-like. You don't just kind of drift into a deeper love with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You have to work. Keep on letting yourselves be filled with the Holy Spirit. And your prayer life, your prayer discipline, and all the things that you pray about will then be aligned with his heart. It's not about, you guys, it's not about if you've been filled with the Spirit. It's about if you're accepting the power and the presence of the Spirit in every part of your life. Are you? Would you be willing to rearrange your life so the Holy Spirit controls everything? You will pray differently. And that's what we're going to talk about in the Q&A. Practically, what do we do to pray as the Spirit guides us?